0: Welcome to Middle School Life, the podcast, where teachers and administrators can exchange ideas and learn from one another. Your hosts, Assistant Principal Victoria Hammond and middle school teacher Dr. Jennifer Erdman, help to bridge the gap between educators and administrators, discussing ways to create a more productive, efficient, and welcoming environment. Join us as we work to inspire change in middle school education. Let's get started. Welcome back to Middle School Life, the podcast, your trusted source for navigating the challenges and triumphs of middle school education. And today we're going to dive into the fascinating world of educational myths as we work to debunk and provide some clarifications on some very common popular educational myths. Some myths that even when I was looking at today, I was like, "What? Who? this isn't true?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, because a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about today is so so pervasive throughout education that many people that are going to listen may not.
0: When I looked at your paper and saw your topic, I was like, that's totally a thing. I give my kids surveys every year.
1: Everybody does it. So we'll get to that in a second. So I'm going to go ahead and start. And I think that that we've kind of um, taken the safe route a little bit and we've talked about a lot of stuff that may not be I don't want to use the word controversial but lend itself to great debates right Correct. so but I think maybe today that it, it can and and, I'm, and that's what I'm hoping for because the reason behind this whole podcast is to start these conversations so one of the myths that I've believed is a myth is the this myth of learning styles and typically the, what we define the learning styles refers to the concept that individuals differ in regards to what mode of instruction or study is most effective for them. And you mentioned earlier that you've given your kids surveys. And I think we've either all taken this survey or given our students these surveys to determine whether or not they are auditory, visual, or kinesthetic learners. And that's actually, it's a myth and I'm going to hopefully debunk it and in, in Explain why it's a myth. One of the key arguments against the validity of learning styles is the lack of empirical evidence supporting this idea. There have been numerous studies that have failed to find consistent and reliable evidence that tailoring instruction to match individual learning styles somehow improves the learning outcomes. I think the one of the reasons why it is so pervasive through education is it makes it easier, I guess. We, we've talked about that on almost every episode about of labeling students. This is just another one of those ways you can label a kid a visual learner and auditory or kinesthetic. And it's not to say that they don't learn that, but it's not. The myth is that that they don't learn any better. I have a preferred way I like to learn things. You have a preferred way you like to learn things. But it's it's your ability, not your preference that we need to focus on.
0: And just to add in exactly what you're saying is something that just came to mind come from like an admin perspective. And I'm pretty sure as educators, you have also heard this is when you have a parent email or a parent come to you and say, well, they're just they don't learn from that teacher's, you know, teaching style or they only they only learn when they have images or they only learn auditorial. And I think that's one of the things that kind of came to mind. And I'm really interested to see what your research says about this, because I think it could also be useful for parents to know.
1: Right. And so going along with that, there's another, the reason why we've embraced the learning styles. It's natural and appealing to think that all people have the potential to learn effectively and easily if only instruction is tailored to, to their individual yeah. learning. So if you label students, oh, they're auditory. So, well, I'm teaching them in that style. Obviously, they're going to learn it. Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily the case. Right. And I think that's that's actually very dangerous.
0: That is so dangerous. And the you way know? you just said that and explained it, like even me sitting over here, I'm like, wow, that's so impactful. Even if I'm a student listening to this or a parent, I'm be like, oh, well, no, I guess sometimes I can learn when I am watching something, or maybe I can learn when I'm doing something, or maybe sometimes I listen to something and I don't understand it and I need to see it in another modality. And I think keeping things diverse is probably going to be... Well,
1: and I think our, our classroom should be multi-modalities. I mean, I think that if you give kids a survey to see how they learn, that's really a waste of your time. Right. Because the classroom should be, let them learn in various ways in a mm-hmm. total variety of ways. Absolutely. If there's no evidence that states that matching or meshing instruction to someone's self-reported learning style positively affects their ability to learn new information. Wow. Think about how widely that is believed. Oh, I've got that. So it is incredibly widely believed. And here you go. Participants in this one particular study believe that people learn better when instruction is matched to their learning styles. Nearly 100% of educators, either veteran or trainer, trainees believe that learning styles is real. And I will tell you this, I can't, I just recently took my reading K through 12 test, became reading certified. I probably inappropriate for me to tell you whether or not there were learning styles questions on that test. (sighs) But what I will tell you for sure is all of the study materials. Discuss that all the study material books I purchased and did online. Reference learning styles. So people are out there making millions of dollars on professional development, on training for teachers, on surveys, when it is all a myth.
0: I know because this is a podcast you can't see right now, but literally my jaw is to the floor, mouth wide open. I hope there are no flies in here.
1: It's it's often promoted by districts and I, I just think that that's it's a bad really bad path to go down.
0: I agree and I think it's it sometimes leads people to be like, "Oh, well, this teacher isn't teaching them" auditorily. so now they're not going to learn it. And I also think that maybe sometimes the teacher are, teachers are finding good results when they do teach kids in different varieties. But maybe that's just because they're a good qualified teacher mm-hmm. and they're teaching the material to the standard in an engaging way, and that's why the students are learning it. It's not necessarily the modality because. In life, you have to be able to learn things in different ways. And so even though some kids, maybe because they're more energetic, like learning things more kinesthetically, does that really mean that they don't learn auditorial or visually like or visually any better? Like right. again, getting back to the research thing, which
1: I love, is there's no research exists no research exists that say that these work. That it it's actually helps learning,
0: and it's so widely believed, which is yes, mind-boggling. Yep. And again, it gets <clears throat> we've all we've all used these. Like it just really starts. I know I'm going down a complete conspiracy rabbit hole right now, but looking at the educational myths today and listening to what you just said just makes me think so much about how many things are just so culturally prevalent or so ingrained in the stories that have been told to me or you throughout our lives that we believe to be true because we've heard them over and over again to be fact. And how many of those things we believe to be fact are actually more opinion based, but because we've heard it over and over and over again, our minds like trick us into thinking some things are fact that really are not right. Yeah, exactly. And I know what
1: Tori's going to talk about is, is such a deep, deep topic that in our 30, we try to keep these into 30 minutes and there's just no way we're just hitting it, barely scratching the surface on this. So, you know, I encourage you to look it up yourselves and I'll share some of this on social after we release the episode, but I'd love to hear what everybody else is thinking on this. Maybe you totally disagree with me and that's great. Just let's have a conversation about it. So you've got some really great myths
0: that you're going to debunk. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I'm extremely excited about this episode because it marries like two of my favorite things, which happens to be education and the brain. Some of the stuff I was reading today was like reminding me of my good old days in science. And actually, I don't know if I've shared this with our listeners yet. but. Prior to becoming an educator, I actually got a degree in health sciences. So whenever we start talking about science, pseudoscience, MRI. Pseudoscience was your
1: word a little bit ago. I'm like, what did she just say? She was like getting all giddy about...
0: Uh, And we are going to learn pseudoscience. Pseudoscience. Because one of the standards I had to teach was what's the difference between science and pseudoscience? The two myths I'm going to look out today is we have proved these to be true using pseudoscience. And pseudoscience is basically... A practice of science where you take a bunch of different um, evidences from a bunch of different things and you try to put them all together and say, oh, here's my scientific proof that this is what is occurring. But when in all reality, you do not have enough evidence to support your claim. It's more of a belief based evidence, if you will. So pseudo meaning non-existent right. science when best practices in science mean that this has been proven over and over and over again to be true and i could start talking about laws versus theories but i digress so how many of you have ever watched the movie limitless You have not seen it. So any of you who have seen the movie Limitless or if you have not, it has Bradley Cooper in it. Very good movie. I would recommend. Haven't seen it in a while. But basically what happens in this movie is that he is given a pill and when he takes this pill, he taps into his limitless potential and he can do anything. He can answer anything. He can see anything. He is using 100% of his brain and he is far superior to any other human. So. I've watched that movie and I have heard this before and I'm just wondering, Dr. Erdman, if you've heard of this before, have you ever heard the myth that humans only use 10% of their brain capacity, perpetuating that idea that unlocking the remaining 90% would lead to enhanced cognitive ability or psychic powers?
1: I actually have heard that quite a bit and I didn't realize that it was a myth. So that's been around for a long time that Oh my gosh. Could, can you imagine what, we, what would happen if we actually used more of our brain? Right. Because we're only using 10%.
0: Correct. I have heard that um, times. I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't even tell you how many. So, so I
1: believe it's true. Right. I believed it was true.
0: Right. I almost still believe it's true. But listen to this. So science tells us with imaging and MRIs of the brain that when you look at the brain, when we're engaged in simple tasks, our brains are actively engaged multiple parts of our brains are firing. You can see that that there's multiple parts of the brains that are lighting up when they're doing those MRIs and there's actually no scientific evidence to support the idea that we're only using a small portion of our brains. In fact, our brains are constantly buzzing with activity even when we're not actively doing anything. Hmm. So I looked up, how can we think of this from an educational perspective? So if it were true that we were using only 10% of our brains, why would we spend so much time learning and studying? Wouldn't it make more sense for us to just focus on unlocking that unused 90%, 90% of our brain yeah. because then would we, we would be able to function better. So the truth is that our brains have evolved over millions of years and they've they become every year they evolve even more. They're becoming more specialized and heavily adaptable and they do. Ev- our brain does everything, but neuroscientists have mapped out the different functions in the different regions of the brain. And while it's true that we can change and adapt over time, there is absolutely nothing to suggest that we are only scratching the surface of the brain's potential.
1: I don't know how I feel about
0: that. I know because I've, I've been told my entire life that, no, like you're only using 10% of your brain. So I know you and I both like to think we're kind of smart. So, I, we like to think so,
1: yes. Um, I'm wondering though, how much of my brain am I using? Am I using
0: 95% of this? Is this as smart as I'm going to get? <laughs> right. Or like, <laughs> or, are, is there a different perspe- percentage? Or is it basically like... I think scien- I, to grow? I think scientifically, they're saying like unless you have some type of a cognitive disability or if there's something else, like you, your brain is working at full functioning so, until there are deficits so or are, chunks so taken what you're out of it.
1: Is we are at max capacity all the time? I don't know how I feel about that. I, I, I know. I actually kind of. Um, It almost sits better with me knowing I've only used 10% of my brain. So,
0: I mean, there's no damage really other than a belief in pseudoscience. But basically, while the idea of unlocking all of this untapped brain potential may be appealing, it lacks significant scientific validity and it can lead to unrealistic expectations or exploitation by scientific claims, pseudoscientific claims, claiming that if you take this pill, you could unlock the other 90% of your brain. Yeah, yeah. So educating the public about the true capabilities and limitations of the human brain is essential for dispelling myths and promoting accurate scientific understanding. Okay. But I also would like to say the more you work it and the more you practice it, you are going to be able to grow the brain so that you understand more things. But the basic functioning and capabilities of the brain are what they are. And then what you decide to use and practice would increase your knowledge per se but not your brain itself. Mm-hmm, right. But the other thing I was going to say was more than ever do I want our listeners to chime in on what your thoughts are on this. Did you believe this to be true your entire lives until just now because I know that I did. Yeah. And moving into that next one, Jen. Dr. Edmund, are you um left-brained or right-brained? You know, I I've heard
1: this too and I tend to be more, I guess I'd be left-brained because I tend to be more logical. I'm not artsy. Well, I want to be. Right.
0: You try. Right.
1: I do try. <laughs> anyway. So, but I tend to be more logical. So I, I would consider myself left-brained.
0: Right. And listeners, what what would you say you are? are? You more Are you more left-brained, more logical and analytical, or are you more creative and intuitive or right-brained? Well, the answer to that is wrong-o because the myth that people are predominantly left or right-brained and that's what influences their learning preferences or learning styles and abilities has been dispelled. Debunked.
1: Dispelled and debunked.
0: Debunked and dispelled. This is disappointing to me because like I'm pretty sure that I have a case on my computer that's like left brain, right brain, which I think is still a good maybe analogy when we're looking at, you know, fixed mindset versus growth mindset. It's a mindset more than anything, but I can tell you that I have been very upset after reading this and the 10 percenter, but also very enlightened. So let's take a second to think about how our brains work while we're learning when we look into mri imaging and we're working through tough subjects like math or language arts both of our brains both sides of our brains rather if you have two brains please call us (laughs) we want you to be our next guest Um, Both sides of our brains are firing away. And even though math is often associated with the left brain, when people are studying math, areas in the right side still light up when crunching numbers. Anytime we're processing anything cognitively, there are complex interactions between both hemispheres of the brain. When studied, there was never one side that was predominantly lit up when participating in different activities. Also, individuals may possess a wide range of cognitive strengths and preferences, but that is not necessarily categorized by whether your left brain functions harder than the right side of your brain. The left brain myth has been widely criticized by neuroscientists neuroscientists and psychologists for oversimplifying the complexities of the brain.
1: And the psychologists and neuroscientists were also part of the debunking process for learning styles. Absolutely. So it's, it's funny how we both kind of.
0: come Right. In a circle like and it this. just says it, it says it right here. It says, it says basically you're just wrong. It says you're oversimplifying the complexities of the brain. And even mo- the most recent scientific evidence and research shows that there is a holistic interaction between both hemispheres for any functioning and rather than having a left brain or a right brain, we simply have brains, or most of us and do. I
1: wonder, hearing you say left brain, right brain, and you know, as long as I can remember, that's been a thing. You yeah, know, forever, it, forever. And I wonder how that's limited people over the years. How much that influenced people? Is the left brain, right brain, learning styles, ten um, percent brain. Right. How much that is has influenced people in the wrong way,
0: right? That's crazy that you said that because it literally ties in to some of the final remarks I have to say on the subject. So if we look at it exactly like you just looked at it, think about at school, all of the amazing things we get to learn and explore every day from solving equations to writing stories to conducting science experiments, students minds are buzzing with activity. And here's the best part. If they can understand that they are using both sides of their brains and that they are capable of learning anything instead of thinking, I'm not a math person, I'm not creative, or I can't draw that. They can celebrate their brain power and push themselves to try new things and might even discover talents they never had. Perfect.
1: Very well said.
0: So how do we dispel these beliefs? I feel so strongly that it is now our mission to provide the world with this actual science and rid them of these pseudoscientific beliefs because how many people's potential could we impact by telling them that you are using more than 10% of your brain you're more than just left brain or right brain and your learning style just goes to how much you want to learn and how much effort and perseverance you put forth and you are so much more than what anybody ever tells you you have to be you do not have to fit in a box you can reach way outside of that box and become anything that you set your mind to absolutely
1: we've got we've talked about this so much but we have to stop putting these kids in boxes period stop putting teachers in boxes and but again um it just i'm just totally blown away by left brain right brain
0: i feel like all of the myths today and All the things we got to talk about were extremely enlightening, and we could not thank you guys enough for tuning in to today's episode of Middle School Life, the podcast. Remember that our brains are incredible, adaptable, and full of untapped potential. So go out there, help us dispel these myths, keep learning, and keep challenging yourselves. I just want to say, as always, until next time, keep learning, keep growing, and keep making
1: a difference in the lives of your students.